Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, for those of you um, who may not be familiar with who I am, my name is Bob Menser, and I am one of the uh, teaching elders here uh, at um, Word of Grace Fellowship. Um, and in keeping with the theme of this year and with what we certainly just heard, it is imperative that we think about our ways and then we think about his ways. And uh, his ways are better than our ways. And I, I want to start with Ezekiel, uh, the 18th chapter, 29th verse, where, Jesus raised, or where God raises this question. Are my ways not right, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? And although this was not during the time of the judges, during the time of the judges, the scriptures tells us that everyone did what was right in their own sight. And so many times we always think that our way is the right way and God comes along and he says, listen, I want you to know that your way is not right. And uh, he is faithful to change us and to modify us. And this is from Exodus 33. This should be our cry. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. And God says, I want to tell you my ways. I want to show you my ways. I want to give you my ways. And he has got an interesting way of doing that because he will test you in various situations to uh, see and let you see what is in your heart. You know, when you cry out, oh, Lord, I give you my heart, and he says, I see what's in your heart. And some of this stuff that you have, and I'll talk about that in a second, some of this stuff needs to be purged out because it's not my way, God says. So he gives us tests to help us grow. Um, and the objective is that is that we can be conformed to his image. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Judah taught on we are light bearers. And we are. We are light in a dark place. And we have the responsibility to be that light and allow him to change us so that we become brighter and brighter and brighter as it gets darker and darker and darker. Last week's message was entitled Opportunities. And whether I'm sure some of you had great opportunity to be tested. I know our family did. And I'm going to tell I wasn't going to do this, but because uh, Danny is not here, she's downstairs, but I thought, I'm going to share this just so you know that everything around our household is not perfect. Um, she had to do an errand. She had to run into our daughter-in-law's, or my son-in-law's and daughter's house to drop some things off. And she went in on 954, which is the back way to go in. And she sees this guy and his wife, or I'm assuming it was his wife, a man and a woman, hood up in the car, and obviously automobile trouble. Being the good Samaritan that she is, she stops. Can I help you? I don't know. I can't get it started. 
let me, I can't, I always keep jumper cables in the car and I had taken them out. So the guy had jumper cables. He said, well, I have jumper cables. So let's see whether he can get jumped. Well, they tried and tried and tried and couldn't get it done. He said, well, I, I made a telephone call. I have somebody coming. Uh, so you go on your way. And she's on her way and she's saying, boy, I'm a good Samaritan. I mean, I stopped, I did all the right things. I, isn't that good? And she comes to my daughter's house uh, who lives in a cul-de-sac. Um, and I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm making some of this up. I'm sure she's thinking about how, how, what a good Samaritan she was. And she pulls into the cul-de-sac and drives directly into uh, my daughter's mailbox. Well, wait a minute. She decides that the best thing to do is to back up. And so when she backs up, the whole front of the car pulls off. Now, I have an 11-year-old granddaughter who's running out and saying, are you in trouble? Are you in trouble? And I have a son-in-law who's saying, it's not as bad as it looks. It's really not as bad as it looks. And she's all really bummed out. And she said, you know, I thought I was doing such a good thing and I was so proud. And all of a sudden, this happens. And it was just carelessness, she said. And I, I said, well, yeah, that, but it was an accident. So um, my son-in-law, this is like a, a Lego. Our car sort of like a Lego. And part of it snaps back in and gets it so that it's at least semi-drivable. Uh, she comes home and I'm at home and she says, uh... I had an accident. You had an accident? Yeah, with the car. Okay, well, obviously you're okay. Oh yeah, I'm okay. What's the next question you're supposed to ask? Well, I didn't, and it's a good thing. I said, how's the mailbox? And she said, mailbox is fine. I said, okay, how's the car? She said, you better come out and look at it. Um, it was a test. It was a test on her. It was a test on me to see how I'm going to respond to I had an accident and how she's responding to. And she said, the Lord was really working on me saying, you know, sometimes you're doing everything right and something happens. And it's a question of how you respond to that opportunity. Uh, last week we took, we didn't look at all of these. We just took a breeze through them all. But these are all individuals in our scriptures who have been put to some kind of test. Gideon, I'm going to give you 300 men to beat the Midianites, uh, just so you won't be able to say it was you who did it. Uh, we have Esther. Esther, are you willing to go before the king and lay your life down for my people? Um, so there, there are all, there's tests through, throughout that. I, Abraham, of course, is the most well-known. Will you give me your son? Um, Job goes through multiple tests. He loses his house. He loses his children. He loses his possessions. He loses his health. And, and the question is, how do, you, how do you respond to these tests that God puts us through? Um, and he gives us some, some ideas. Uh, we talked about last week King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah went through at least uh, three tests, um, two tests of adversity, and he passes them pretty well because you know what he does in both of those tests? He turns to the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm surrounded by an army. Can you help me? I need your help. I'll deliver you. The second one, he's given this word that his days are over. 
And he turns to the Lord and said, Lord, I beseech thee, spare me. And the Lord hears his prayer and gives him 15 extra years. And then the third, which is really kind of dumb, he takes the time to um, show uh, this envoy of Babylonian leaders all of his wealth, all of his fortresses, everything. And uh, Isaiah comes along and says, why did you do that? And uh, says, uh, because of that, the kingdom is going to be taken from you. But not you immediately. Your children's children will be taken into slavery. They will be made eunuchs. Uh, and uh, the, the uh, kingdom of Judah will be taken uh, into captivity. And Hezekiah says, oh, you mean, that? oh, that's not bad. Because it's not going to impact me. So, so we have different tests that were shown in Scripture to see how we will respond. Um, and uh, I, I kept thinking about this when, when God says, uh, we're giving him his heart, your heart. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know what's in me. Know, know what's there that you may purge it out. And if there's anything in me you want out, give me a test and I'll take it. Oh, wait a minute. Do you really want to do that? Well, he's going to do it anyway, so uh, you might as well get used to it. So today's lesson, lesson uh, is called, the series is called, This is Only a Test. And everybody in here who believes in Jesus Christ, who wants to walk in his ways, uh, is going to be put to a test somewhere along the line, uh, probably this week. Um, just watch out for mailboxes, okay? Just give me a hint. And today's message is called Confrontation. Oh, boy, we love that. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange was happening to you. See, see God says, I want to test you to see what's you, to allow you to see what's in your heart, to see what your ways are and not my ways. And so don't think that that's strange. I don't think that that's unusual. That's what he does. That's his way. John Newton, and I, if you don't know who John Newton is, John Newton wrote um, uh, Amazing Grace. Uh, he was a, uh, a first mate in a, sh a slave ship for years and years and years. Finally got saved, uh, became a uh, minister of the word. Uh, and this is a quote from him. He said, test our medicines which our gracious and wise physician prescribes, because we need them. And he proportions the frequency and weight of them to what the case requires. Let us trust in his skill and thank him for his prescription. Wow. I should stop the sermon right now, because that says it all. We have a wise physician who knows what is best for us, each of us individually, and he willingly and with precision tests you. And then he prescribes his way to you where you have gone astray. So, how do you recognize a test from God? 
And that's what we're going to talk about today, if I can get this to change. There we go. That I may test you. And listen, I took a lot of license on this. I kind of thought that I could divide different tests into about four different categories. Difficulty, demand, dollars, and delay. Uh, and they are four Ds uh, simply because I thought it would be easier for you to rem remember them. Uh, I, I had thought that the first one I would call circumstances, the second one I would call the call, the third one I would call cash, but I couldn't come up with a fourth one for D, so that started with a C. So uh, we are going to talk about difficulty of test, we're going to talk about the demand that comes out of a test, we're going to talk about dollars. Ooh, start to talk about dollars, you're getting serious. And I want to talk about delay. Um, and those are tests that God puts us to. Uh, we want to look at difficulties first. These, a better word is really circumstances. And I think Rick Warren, uh, and if you don't know who Rick Warren is, Rick Warren uh, wrote uh, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, The Purpose Driven Church. Uh, he's a pastor of a big church in California. And he wrote this. God has a purpose behind every problem, every circumstance, every difficulty. God has a purpose there. He uses circumstances to develop our character. Do you ever think of that? He uses circumstances to help us mature, to help us grow in him. In fact, now this is the kicker, he depends more on circumstances to make us like Jesus then he depends on our reading the Bible. Say, I love the Word of God. I believe it's true. I believe it has depth to it. I believe it has life to it. And it's pretty good in the Bible. But God says, I'm going to bring you into a situation where what I have in my word is going to be tested in your life. And how are you going to respond? How are you going to handle it? Are you going to handle it with anger, bitterness, envy, hatred, hurt? Or are you going to handle it in the way I want you to? You know, Jesus did some of that when he was talking about, um, uh, remember during those days of the Roman uh, occupation, um, they were required, every, every, every Israelite was required, to, if a, a Roman soldier uh, demanded it, uh, you would have to walk a mile and carry whatever he was carrying. So if I would come up to Alan and I would be a Roman soldier and I would say, hey, Alan, get over here. Carry that for me. And you were required to carry it a mile. But what did Jesus say? He said, hey, don't stop at a mile. Walk two miles. Walk the extra mile. And he's trying to show us that God has ways. Because I'm sure Alan, when he was carrying that, was thinking, I hate these Romans. Wish the Messiah would come so we could overthrow them. That's what I'm waiting for. Oh, I'll get this one myself. Jesus said, no, that's not the attitude to have. When you carry it, say, hey, I'm going to carry this an extra mile for you. 
And that's showing the love of God. That's showing a different way. And that's what God says, and that's what Rick Warren says. If you come across certain circumstances, how are you going to handle it? How are you going to handle it? I'll have to do it. Or you say, I am thankful for this. I am rejoicing in this. You know, that's what Scripture tells us to do. Be thankful, rejoice. We're supposed to be those who are developing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I missed one. Faithful. What? Faithful. Faithful. Thank you. That's supposed to be what, what is coming out of us as we walk in this dark place. It's not that we stand around the, the, uh, the break room and come in and complain with everybody else about the job, about the work, about the boss, about the boss's boss. It's supposed to be a light. Thankful. So, James reminds us that blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. There is reward in walking in what God calls you to do. Sometimes it's extremely difficult, and that's what it is. These are circumstances that God places us in so that you may have reward. Well done. I think, I have, I think that's my next scripture. Nope. Um, Psalm 119, for it is good to, for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And Psalmist is understanding that because we have tests, I learn, I learn the ways of God. I learn to walk in what he wants. And so when we start to look at um, difficulties, I like this from Proverbs 20, 30. And this, the one on the left is what is in my uh, New American Standard Bible. Stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. Now, I'm afraid I stared at that and stared at that and stared at that and could not figure it out. So I went to Good News Bible, which made it perfectly clear for me. Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. That's what Proverbs is telling us. Sometimes God is going to put you in a difficult situation and he's going to look and it scours away what's there unless you don't respond right. And we'll talk about that next week. We're just talking about different types of tests that you're going to get. Uh, Thomas uh, Kempis, uh, 16th century. Adversaries do not make a man frail. Adversities do not make a man frail. They show sort, what sort of man he is. And so sometimes when we go through a difficult situation, a difficult circumstances, uh, God is saying, what is there? Do you have proven character? Do you show the love of God? What do you show in those circumstances? I particularly like, the, oh, this is, by the way, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is the, Benchmark 
of good, healthy encouragement. Job's wife here. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. You know, isn't that... <laughs> what words of encouragement were they, okay? Yeah, this is what you ought to do in your circumstance. You ought to just curse God and then drop over. That would be the solution. But Job has this wonderful response. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Wow. You know, we love to say, oh, God is good, God is good, God is good. But when we come across adversity, how do we respond to it? Do we accept it? Do we embrace it? You know, if you're like me, you say, God, get me out of this. Get me out of this. I want you to learn in it. I want to test you to see what kind of character you are, to see, see how deep your commitment to me is. Are you willing to lay down your ways for my ways? Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And some of us go through very difficult times, very difficult, and in those difficult times, that's a test, it's a test to see whether you persevere, whether you endure, and what's really in you. And sometimes you're not pleased with what's there. And you say, God, we need to burn this off. So, <clears throat> difficulties. That's one of the ways God tests. Oh, I forgot about this one, and this is my favorite scripture. Philippians 4, 11 and 12. Favorite scripture in this portion. Not that I speak from want, Paul writes, for I have learned to become content in whatever circumstances I am. I now know how to get along with humble means. I also now how to live, know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And what's critical here is Paul saying, I learned this. I learned this from different situations, different circumstances I went through. And you know what the next scripture is, the next portion of this passage is. And I think we do it a lot of injustice. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Question is, have you, you know, somebody said, well, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Yeah, huh, right, okay. Have you first learned through your circumstances, in your weaknesses, in your strengths, in your fullness, and in your emptiness, in your prosperity, and in your sufferings? Have you learned the secret? And the secret, now, now we can come to that. Having learned that, I can boast. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can endure circumstances and situations because I know that they're for my good. Demands. This is another way God tests us. 
We're going to look very quickly at three. And, and, and basically what I'm talking about is what does God, what did God call you to? What did God say to you? In this first passage, when God spoke to Noah, he said, and then the all, end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. And that's the demand. That's the call. That's the charge. This is what I'm charging you with. Make uh, an ark. Does Noah do it? Absolutely. We all know that. How about Abraham? By faith, Abraham, when he was called, when there was a demand put on his life, he obeyed by going out to a place to which he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And so we see this when he is called, there's a response, there's a demand. And God will somewhere, some along, and say something to you and see how you respond. It may be as simple as I want you to make the coffee. I want you to work with Grace Kids. I want you to be a greeter. I want you to take a meal to your neighbor. I don't want to take a meal to my neighbor. Why would I take a meal to my neighbor? Because I ask you to do that. Oh, no. And the call. Are you going to? And that's a test. Are you going to respond to what he said, what he's asked you to do? And sometimes they're very simple, and sometimes they're a little more difficult. Moses, therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out. There's a call. There's a demand. Here's what I want you to do, Moses. Well, see, those guys are the good guys. But we have this guy. God says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That's the call. That's the demand. This is what I want you to do. What does Jonah do? Well, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You remember what happened to Jonah. God said, I, I want you to do this. Jonah said, I am not doing this, Lord. Hey, Nineveh, first of all, was a Gentile city, probably a population of a quarter of a million. He said, I want you to go to this Gentile city and tell them to repent. They're Gentiles. I'm not going to the Gentiles. Uh, matter of fact, I'm not even going to do what you said. And I'm going to run from you. I'm going to run. Well, that didn't work out, did it? No. He spent three nights in the belly of a whale. And I, you've heard me say this before. I've spent three nights in the belly of a whale, but they were longer than three nights and that's because God wanted me to do things, and I said, I'm not doing it. I want you to do that. No. So I ran across some really, a couple of years of pretty tough times. But I repented. That's the good part. Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. See, sometimes God calls us to do small things very small things, and there is, you are faithful in that. He's looking for faithfulness. 
Are you faithful? Are you faithful to serve? Are you faithful to give? Are you faithful to surrender? Are you faithful to walk in my ways? And yeah, you were faithful. And that's what he's looking for. He's also looking for, and he was saying to them all, if anyone from Luke 9, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Wait a minute, no, take up his cross. Take, take up his cross, yeah, take up his cross. Don't you hate that word? I mean, that's the call. If you're gonna come after me, you better bear and die to yourself daily. And follow me, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever wishes Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profit of if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And God's way is his call, his demand is for you to bear your cross daily. Surrender yourself. And he, he tests you to that. And sometimes you're going to say, I'm not doing that. I'm not into it. And he's going to say, I, you know, he's very persistent. He is really faithful. And he'll come and he'll say, I, I'm laying before you a test. How are you going to respond? Are you going to die to yourself? I don't have time to bake cookies for the bake sale. I don't have time. No, I'm not doing it. I, I'm asking you to bake cookies for the bake sale. Get Judah to do it. We always get Judah to do it because he is the pastor. He's the head. Get, he, he, he'll do it. Somebody just had a baby. Let's put together a meal train for that person. Yeah. Oh, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I, I, I want you to do that. No, I'd sooner spend some time in the belly of a whale. Thanks. <laughs> First Peter, beloved, this is a call. This is a demand. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slandered you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Your, your behavior has to be excellent. I mean, Alan taught on that. Don't go dropping bad words. Don't let your tongue tell everybody that you are not who you say you are. Don't let your behaviors tell everybody. These are tests. These are all tests. I'm gonna do this one next week, okay? So, and I'm sort of, I'm not running out of time. Oh, dollars. Now we're getting to test. These are my dollars. Right? I'll give you a few of them, but these are my dollars. I worked for them. I earned them. 
And then God comes along and he has a different attitude. Can you believe that? I don't like his attitude on this one. You would not believe. I could, we could, well, obviously people do spend a whole sermon on dollars. The Bible's filled with what and how you deal with your dollars. Luke 6, he says, I want you to give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and they will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Oh, do you believe that? See, if I give a penny, I'll get a penny. If I give a dime, I'll get a dime. By your measure. Well, it's my money and I need it. I want to I wanna buy a new car. And so you're not getting this money. It's, but God says, my way is to give. You have to understand that. You say, ah. You start into the wallet. Now you're getting to a test. 2 Corinthians 9, now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. This, this God is showing his, you his way. My way is for you to pour out, to give. And I appreciated what Ned said last week. He said, Let's, let us time, it's a time to give. He said, we give of our time, our talents, and our tithes. God is a giver. He gave his son. He gives. That's who he is. His ways are to give. I think I have one more here. Let each one do just as he purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. Do you give of your time? Do you give of your talents? Do you give of your money? God loves it because that's his way. That's who he is. I'm a giver. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. Now this one I love. This is my favorite of this section, so pay close attention. Here it is. Now this is from Ephesians 4.28. Pay attention. Don't want you to miss this. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Well, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. But rather let him labor performing with his own hands what is good. Now, the question is, in order that. Now, here's the admonition. Don't steal, but I want you to labor. I want you to work. What do you think the purpose of the guy who's no longer stealing, but is now working, what do you think the purpose is? His purpose is to provide for his family. His purpose is to be a good witness. That's probably what it says next, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's what it says next. Here's what it says. So that he may have something to share with him who has need. Can you believe that? This guy who was stealing, you want him to get a job. What do you want him to get a job for? Well, so he can feed his family, right? No. 
Scripture says, I want so that he is able to give, to share. Wow. God's ways are to give. And he's going to test you in that. He does. I want you to put $2 in the bucket when it goes around. We don't do that anymore. In the, rather than a dollar. I'm not doing that. I need that dollar. I need to buy an ice cream. Okay. First Timothy. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct those who are rich in this present world to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That's the demand for your dollars. And I'm telling you, you'll get tested on these things. I know, I've been tested. And am I ready to give? Yeah, I see a need, I need to, I need to, that's his way, be ready to give. And then the last type of testing, so we had so far, we had, um, Circumstances, difficulties that you go through. He's going to test you on those. Um, the second one was what he calls you to do, what he asks you to do. I want you to see whether you do it. The third one is how you deal with your money. And the fourth one is delays. And delays <laughs> really, uh, and, and uh, Sam alluded to that, and we're going to detail it a little bit. But I, before we get there, uh, I want you to hear from Psalm 13 the cry of somebody who has not seen God working, who has been waiting and waiting. And listen to the cry here. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, I don't know whether any of you have been in that situation. I know I have. Lord, hey, hey, did you remember me? You know, I, I'm the one you one of those you called me out of darkness. I, I, I've asked you, I asked you this morning to take care of this, and you didn't. Well, wait a minute. Oh, oh yeah, that, I asked you last month to take care of this. Well, wait a minute. I asked you last year to take care of this, and you didn't. Well. I have a solution, but let me finish this because it gets better. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all day long? He doesn't really have sorrow, he's got pity, self-pity. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me. God, answer me, I'm talking to you. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Let lest my enemies say, I have overcome him. Lest my adversaries rejoice when I am shaken. <sighs> but, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, all of that self-pity, that asking God where he's at, you need to bring it back and say, 
you are faithful, God. I trust you. You have dealt with me bountifully. John 11. I want to do 5 and 6 and then I'll do 21. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Where he was. Wait a minute. He stayed two days longer? He heard Lazarus was sick? That seems like a little delay tactic to me. And Martha, Martha runs out and hits him with it. Therefore, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd, if you, hear the accusation, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. You delayed. And I appreciate it. That's not where it ended. But sometimes we get into a situation where God, you don't see God moving at all. And he's simply testing you. God, why are you delaying? Well, my ways are not your ways. And I love you, and I'm doing what's best for you. But, but, we are plan B Christians. God's not working the way I want him to work. I'll come up with my own plan. And we see that throughout Scripture. In Genesis 16, Sarah, now Sarah, Abram's wife, Sarai, Abram's wife had borne unto him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Oh, now the Lord has prevented me from having a child. Maybe you should go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. Plan B. Hey, this is not working out with me. I've got a good plan. Plan B. Because I'm taking things into my own hands. Because you don't seem to be working, Lord. It's a test. Are you going to wait on the Lord? Well, she's not the only one. Now, when the people saw, this is from Exodus, when the people saw that Moses delayed, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's been up there for 40 days. He's, inter, he's talking with God. They're having this great conversation. And when he delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron, and they said to him, come, we've got a better plan. We don't know what happened to Moses. Uh, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, uh, we do not know what's become of him. Ah, what we need, what we need is a new God. We need this golden calf because, hey, Moses is up on the mountain. Who knows what will happen? Then we have this passage from 1 Samuel, and it has to do with Saul and Eli. Uh, and this, uh, in 10.8, this is the setup. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal. And they're about to enter into their, uh, a war uh, with the Philistines. And behold, I will come down to you, uh, wait a minute, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice and peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. So, what's the instruction? The instruction is, you go down, you wait seven days till I show up, and then I'll tell you what to do. I got it. Well, what happens? 
He waited seven days. Oh, good job. According to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. And it came about as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering. Guess who shows up? What were you supposed to do? I was supposed to wait seven days and wait for you to show up to tell me what to do. Did you? No, I had a better plan. I was going to do it. Because, hey, people were running. They were getting scared of the Philistines here. And Samuel came and Saul went down and met him to greet him. But Samuel said, what? What have you done? And as a result of that, the kingdom is yanked from Saul because he didn't wait. And sometimes we are called to wait on the Lord. Now I know we talked about this from Isaiah 40 and that's a different wait. That wait that um, uh, Donovan had talked about uh, last week or two weeks ago was a, uh, that wait is an intertwining. It is a, a relationship thing that you twine yourself with the Lord. This wait, however, is a time wait. In Isaiah 64 says, for from of old they have not heard nor perceived by ear. Either ha neither has the eye seen a God's beside you who acts in behalf of those who wait for him. Wait for him. He's going to test you. Are you waiting for him or are you going to come up with plan B? You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. See, his ways are not our ways. And we need to learn his ways. We need to walk in his ways. And he will test us to see whether we're willing. And he will lay them out there. Is it a difficult situation? Did I tell you to do something? I'm going to test your money. That's the big test, my money. Or I don't see God working. Man, I'm going to, I got a solution. I know what I'm going to do. Deuteronomy reminds us, and you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. That God has lots of time. And one of his ways is to pour into you his life, his ways, his word. And then, as Rick Warren said, he's going to use circumstances to see whether, you've, whether it has become a life skill or not. Here's what Job says in ending. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, because I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I cannot see him. He knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. See, God is always at work in you. Always at work in you. He does not sleep, he does not slumber. And you don't sometimes perceive what he's doing. But he's at work. I don't see him on the left, I don't see him on the right, I don't see him behind me, I don't hear him. But he is at work, and what he is doing is laying before you circumstances, demands, tests your money, or where you don't see him working. 
Are you willing to allow him to have and teach you his ways? And his ways are far above our ways, but he loves us enough to say, I'm about to teach you, you know, and if you run into a mailbox and back up and pull the front of my car off, I will still love you and I will still care. Amen? Next week, oh, I think it might get a little, little, little heavier next week. Next week, we're going to talk about how we respond when you get the test. And there's different ways to respond. How do you respond to a test that he puts you in? You can respond with anger, bitterness, or you can respond with depending on the situation, forgiveness, love, kindness. I had somebody come up to me today and say, you know, I heard somebody say that I was kind. I said, that's great. That's the Spirit of God working in you. And that's who we should be. We should be lights in this dark place. And we should be those who are molded by the potter, that are reshaped, that we should not let the old man have his way, but we should let that new man grow in us and foster so that people will say, why are you so different? Why, why are you so different? That's because God has tested me. And you know something? I think I passed. Amen.